Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. If you're a guest, welcome. For those of you joining us online, welcome. Well, first of all, is everyone aware that tomorrow is Valentine's Day? Yes. This is a a public service announcement to all the men uh, who are here this morning. You still have time to pick up a card or a gift for your wife, and you're welcome. Now, I will tell you, if you forget now, you're going to be in more trouble than you ever would have been. Because she'll tell you, she'll be like, Pastor Chris told you. (laughs) He reminded you, and you still forgot. So somebody share that testimony, because I guarantee that probably will happen. Men are that forgetful. So if that happens, let me know. (laughs) Well, this morning, we're going to continue to walk through the book of James. If you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to James chapter 1, and we're going to get there in just a moment. Uh, As we've been going through the book of James, we've been discussing how James's primary focus is on the practical outworking of our faith. In James 1.22, he encouraged believers to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then in chapter 2, verse 18, James wrote, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James put a lot of emphasis on the fruit or the visible side of our faith. One thing that I've made clear in the previous messages and want to make clear again this morning is that James is not talking about us working out our salvation. Uh, we cannot earn our salvation. Our, both our salvation and our spiritual rebirth are only through faith in Jesus Christ. And only He can accomplish that miracle in, in our life. What James is referring to is what theologians would call sanctification. Another way to refer to that would be uh, to look at it as a maturing process that we go through spiritually. Just like we mature and grow uh, from infants physically into adults, there is a spiritual process that mirrors that. When we are born and recreated in Christ Jesus, when we come to faith in Him, we start out as infants in Christ and we're called to grow up, to mature in that relationship. Every believer is called to mature and grow in faith. And the book of James encourages us to do just that. This process of sanctification, this outworking of our faith, uh, requires us to get our hands dirty. God invites us to participate with Him in this process. And it's a growing process. It's a maturing process. And it includes real work and real effort. It takes action on our part. It takes sweat, it takes tears, and it takes a process uh, that lasts the rest of our lives. And this morning we're going to see how faith practically works in our relationships. As I mentioned, uh, the type of faith James is writing about takes tangible work and tangible effort. How many of you here this morning know that relationships take work? Have you ever been in a relationship that doesn't take work? If you want a good one. I know tomorrow is Valentine's Day, but I'm not just talking about relationships between a husband and a wife. This applies to all of our relationships. Relationships with loved ones, relationships between a parent and a child, the relationship between a child and a parent, relationships between friends and coworkers, even acquaintances. 
and even how we treat strangers. All of our relationships can be affected. All relationships require work and effort if we desire them to be healthy. If you were here for the first message, you may remember that the book of James is actually considered a wisdom book, like the book of Proverbs. It's called the the wisdom book of the New Testament. James addresses relationships in several passages and applies godly wisdom to how we can interact in all of our relationships. If we desire to have healthy, godly relationships centered around God's wisdom, then James is a great place to go for wisdom. We are going to look at several passages in James that are going to show us how faith works in the middle of our relationship, starting with James chapter 1, verse 19. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Quick to hear and slow to speak. I usually get those in reverse. It's a hard lesson to learn, but but godly wisdom would tell us to, to listen first and speak later and hold off on our anger. There's a difference between righteous anger and man's anger. Remember that James is instructing us to grow up and mature in our faith. And there's a big difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. All three passages that we're going to look at this morning are going to highlight that. To be doers of the word and not hearers only. There's a practical outworking again. James is telling the believers that he's writing to and continues to encourage every believer who reads or hears these words today that it doesn't do us any good if we hear the word only. We, yes, we have to believe it and receive it. And like I said, that's how we get saved and, and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then he literally takes us and makes us a new creation, making us a whole entirely new being. And all of that is by that inside faith. But if we have that kind of faith, James says, now we have to do what we hear to be a doer of the word of God. And we're going to really focus on meekness and humility in a moment. But for now, I just want to point out that in this passage uh, that James said, we're to receive the word of God with meekness. Now we're going to take a look at James 3, starting in verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. If we desire to be wise, we need to show our works through our good conduct. And there that word is, again, in the meekness of wisdom. And we're going to get to meekness in just a moment. Before we do, let's go on to verse 17. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
So James continues to encourage us to grow up spiritually, to go from doing things in the flesh to working in the spirit. He's calling us to transition from using man's wisdom or earthly wisdom to God's wisdom, wisdom from above. And James point out that, points out that man's wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and can even get to the point of being demonic. But the wisdom from above, and I just think it's beautiful the way he describes this, is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. These wisdom attributes remind me of the fruit of the Spirit. As we mature, as we seek God for wisdom, as we transition from walking in the flesh to walking in the Spirit, we can transition from walking in this realm's wisdom to walking in the wisdom from above. God's wisdom. And it will show. It will be seen on the outside through a harvest of righteousness that was sown in peace by those who make peace. In verse 13, he also said that our good conduct would show our works in the meekness of wisdom. There that word is again, meekness. James is encouraging us to be meek. Our Western culture doesn't understand the concept of meekness as being a virtue. Most modern translations actually replace the word with gentleness or humility because we've grown so accustomed to seeing meekness as being weak. For that matter, I think our current culture would even see gentleness and humility as a negative point and be seen as weak. But meekness, uh, even more so. Meekness was not always understood in this way. In ancient times, they actually placed a high value on it. Kings, there's, there's writings that they've found where kings would describe themselves as being meek in the same context that they were describing themselves as being mighty. And that, to us, seems like a contradiction of terms, almost comparing opposites together. But the reason for that is in our misunderstanding of of the word. Meekness comes into play in conflicts where an individual is unable to control or influence the circumstances. Have you ever found yourself in a circumstance that you felt out of control? We all have. Typical human responses when we find ourselves in a situation like that is to get frustrated, bitter, and angry because we can't do anything. But the one who is guided by God's Spirit accepts God's ability to direct events when we have no control. Meekness is an active and deliberate acceptance of undesirable circumstances that are wisely seen by the individual as only part of a larger picture. We can tell that God's involved in this process, that it's beyond our control. But the word says that God can work all things together for good for those who follow him and who love him. Meekness is not a resignation to fate or a passive and reluctant submission to events, for there's little virtue in that kind of a response. This is where the confusion comes in from the outside looking in meekness, true meekness. And resignation can look like the same thing because to someone who's looking at your response from the outside, it just looks like you're not doing anything. It's easy to see how what was once perceived as a virtue and a strength has now become to be seen as a defect. The patient and hopeful endurance of undesirable circumstances identifies the person as externally vulnerable and weak, but inwardly resilient and strong. 
Meekness does not identify the weak, but more precisely, the strong who have been placed in a position of weakness where they can continue to persevere without giving up. That's what a meek person does. I will not give up. My hope is in the Lord. No matter what the circumstances may look like, even though it's all out of my control, I am hopeful. I, my faith, my hope is only in God. And I'm going to wait on Him. The Greeks actually used the same word to describe a wild animal that had been tamed. The animals had not lost their strength, but rather they'd learned how to control their destructive instincts that prevented them from living in harmony with others. Looking at it this way, we can see how meekness could be a virtue. When we are meek, we are actually being in submission to God. Jesus is freely described as meek in the New Testament. He's the perfect example of being quiet and not taking action in the middle of very difficult circumstances. He took the ridicule and the beatings in silence. He was arrested and spat upon. He was lied about. He was abused and brutally battered. And he was innocent of every charge that was brought against him. And then he was crucified. It took far more strength from Jesus Christ to be meek and humble at that point than it would have taken for him to retaliate. One of the times that he did respond, he said, I could call down a legion of angels in a moment and they would rescue me. But if he acted in that manner, he would have been saved and all humanity would have been lost. The word says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. He humbly and meekly submitted to the will of the Father because he knew that was what was needed to bring us redemption and salvation. When the Bible refers to meekness, it's almost always in situations where the person involved is vindicated and rewarded for their patient endurance. But they're rewarded by God, not by their own efforts. They could do nothing in their own strength to alter their circumstances. So they waited on the Lord. Psalm 37.11 says, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. In Psalm 76.9 it says, God arose to establish judgment to save all the meek of the earth. Psalm 147.6 says, The Lord lifts up the meek and He casts the wicked to the ground. Psalm 149.4 says, For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the meek with salvation. And Matthew 5, 5 said, blessed, Jesus Christ said this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God says, if you will wait on me, if you will trust me when everything is out of your control, I will lift you up. I will save you. I will adorn you. James is clearly trying to say two things here. The first is that true wisdom produces good works. And the second is true wisdom produces meekness and humility. The result of false wisdom that James highlighted in verse 14 was that this, the wisdom of this realm produces jealousy or envy and selfish ambition. But the wisdom from above, God, God's wisdom, those results are complete opposite. It produces meekness and humility. The last passage that we're going to look at highlights the effect of humility in our relationships. And we're going to see this in James 4 verses 1 through 10. James starts out by asking a question. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I just want to quickly touch on one aspect there and where it says uh, mentions adultery. And that term that's used there is actually in the feminine sense of the word. So it could be translated like he was speaking to the women in the congregation that they were being adulterous. But that's absolutely not what the the context suggests when you look at the the couple verses following. Um, If you know many of the reference in the Old Testament, um, God would compare the nation of Israel to his bride. And And even in the New Testament, the church is compared to the bride of Christ. And so what James was basically saying here is when you go to the world's wisdom, to the wisdom of this realm, when we do that as Christians, we're committing spiritual adultery. The bride of Christ is cheating on Christ by going to someone else for what he has to offer us. And so what James is calling us through this whole, um, uh, actually the entire letter, is to, to seek God, to go to Him, to walk in the Spirit, not the flesh, to let the work of faith have a work in us, that we would uh, respond not just with what's in our heart, but with our hands on what's on the outside, that the, that the work would show fruit. And so here, by looking at wisdom, he's saying we have to turn to God for his wisdom. Otherwise, we're committing spiritual adultery. We have to choose what side we're going to be on. Verse 6 finishes off by letting us know that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How many of us have learned that we don't want to be on the side that's opposing God? It made me think of, you know, back when you're kids and you're picking teams, you know, somebody gets to be the captain and you've got two captains and you start picking teammates. And you, of course, start with the ones that are going to be most likely to help you win. Can you imagine if God is one of those teammates who wouldn't pick God to be on their side? Who wants to be on the side opposing him? But what James is saying here and what we see in many places throughout Scripture, we often literally choose to be on the side against God. When we choose our own will, when we choose to walk in the flesh, we're saying, yeah, no, we're taking up sides against you. And I can guarantee you, and I've had much experience myself, it's always the losing side. You cannot win when you take the side against God. And that's what James is saying here. He's that if we oppose God, we'll be taken down because he's going to oppose. If we're proud, he's going to oppose us. But if we humble ourselves, he's going to give us grace. And that's why we're called to his wisdom and to be uh, meek and humble. Let's go on to verse seven. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. These verses are pretty straightforward. Submit to God sounds a lot like being meek. 
Resist the devil, repent, humble ourselves before him, and then God will act in our favor. He will lift us up. Let him do what only he can do in the circumstances that you're facing today. And maybe then we can harvest righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make peace. We've all been part of many disagreements and quarrels, maybe even fights throughout our life. We've also probably been a witness to many. There's three uh, heart attitudes that can be involved um, in, in any relationship that we have with other people. And I could lie and say that I've only witnessed some of these, but the truth is I've been a part of every single one. And the first type of relationship is between the proud and the proud. Have you ever been part of one of those relationships? That's a difficult relationship under the best of circumstances. Have you ever been in a disagreement with someone when you're proud and they're proud? That's a lot of fun, isn't it? <laughs> you remember those, don't you? They probably turned into, into yelling matches and screaming matches, maybe even fist fights. Those are lose-lose scenarios. And it's also a scenario that I would say is the most likely one uh, to get to the level James described as is demonic. The second type of relationship is between the proud and the humble. This would be where we might see a good example of meekness from the person who's, who's being humble in that, in that process. It may look like weakness on the outside and it may look like the humble person lost, lost the argument. Or lost the battle. But the truth is they are the one who is more spiritually mature. And God has promised them that he will lift them up. He will uphold them. He will adorn them. They will be vindicated. Because they acted the way that they were supposed to. After the the first uh, message, actually, somebody shared with me out in the the foyer a personal testimony that, that really blew me away. They said they've been in a, in a situation before at work where um, an individual would just curse them out and hates them and just, just berates them on and on and on and on. And in that, that person being proud to them, their response has only been humility. They've never yelled back. They've never responded. They've never attacked back in response. And, and they said, you know, it actually makes them more mad. And that's not why, I mean, that's not why he's doing it, but he's just like, I'm gonna do what I'm supposed to do, um, in that circumstance. And I, and I, what I said was, I was like, man, that's such a witness. He may not realize it now, but one day God may be able to use that relationship, that circumstance, to change that man's heart over time. But those are difficult circumstances to be in, and if, if we were watching that on the outside, we might say, Why aren't you acting out? Why aren't you defending yourself? Why aren't you standing up for yourself? And it looks like inaction, but it's meekness. It's saying, I know if I get into this argument, the only possible outcome is to make it worse. But I will meekly submit to God and allow Him to work in this this relationship and allow Him to heal it and change it versus me trying to fight my own battle. Only God can win that kind of war. And the final relationship is between the humble and the humble. Unfortunately, I don't think we witness this too often. But think about it. What would a disagreement look like between the humble and the humble? Two humble people tend to forgive one another. 
And they tend to get over their issues and move on and try again and heal up and enjoy their life in a way that a proud person never can. The proud are stuck in the fight and so committed to winning that they can never move beyond the fight. When we handle arguments and quarrels with earthly wisdom, we are doing it wrong. When battles are lose-lose scenarios and no one wins, we are handling situations the worst way possible and with wisdom from this earthly realm. The best case scenarios are the win-win situations where both parties are humble and meek, both living under the grace and mercy of God. Those who are humble put themselves in a place where God can bless them and bless others through them. My wife Candy, she's in kids right now, but she was in the first service and she was able to testify, give testimony to the fact that I've handled many disagreements in our relationship from a position of pride. I couldn't let go of something because I thought I was right. I had to win. But the truth is that when I handled things that way, we both lost. Whether I won the argument or not. And this past week, uh, God gave me a personal testimony recently that was very difficult for me to receive. On the positive side, he also displayed from some fruit in it shortly after. But I've lived through the through messages before that, that I've preached in sermon series that I've shared, but this series has been like no other. Last Sunday, right after I finished preaching, Candy actually jokingly said to me, you've got to stop preaching this series. Like, it's, it's too hard. Like, God's just playing out the examples in real life. And she was just referring to how difficult it's been to live. And that's James' whole point. Our faith is useless if it doesn't work, really work. And work is hard, it's taxing, it's physically taxing, it's emotionally taxing, and it's spiritually taxing. And our maturing process when it comes to the Spirit is absolutely spiritually taxing. And not long, literally after I finished preaching last Sunday's message, God took me to a place of humility that I have never been to before in my life. I was brought down low. I shared a scripture last week that David said a prayer at one point. He just said, I'm undone, God. And through circumstances, he brought me to a place of humility where I was just undone. And I didn't know what to do. So many circumstances were coming from so many different places. Literally one day um, later in this week, uh, Pastor Darrell was here in the morning um, and a phone rang and it was a, a, an issue that needed to be dealt with. And he took it. And I was just so thankful that he was there to take it because I didn't have it in me to handle another issue. And then he went to lunch and the phone rang again and I couldn't answer the phone. I let the answering machine get it because I was like, I don't know that I could handle it. And I shared... Oh, Brandon's in here. I shared with Brandon a little bit earlier. Oh, there he is. Before the, series, uh, before the message this morning. Um, he sent me a text, uh, I don't know, Thursday, something like that. And there was this little meme that said, uh, uh, you know, tonight's the Super Bowl. And it said, um, you know, we should, we should do in church like we do um, in, a, in a Super Bowl game. All the cheering and all the excitement, all those kind of things. And so at the end of a great message, dump a, a Gatorade deal <laughs> On you. But 
but all he sent was, um, or, or before, he, with that, he said, sorry, it had to be you, Chris. And behind that, I could see that there was a, a clip of, like it was, you know, off of a meme or internet, you know, a screenshot. So I saw a text, that, but it was too small to see what it was. It was just a screenshot, and then that, I'm sorry, it had to be you, Chris. Literally, the first thing that I thought was, you know, what's on Lampasas breaking news? You know, um, what... What is out there? I mean, that I just all that just to put into context the the low place that I had gotten to. That and and so thankfully it was a short-lived thing. I clicked on it. I was like, "Whoo!" <laughs> you know, it wasn't it wasn't another thing that 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 came up that I am too weak to handle. But through that process, it took me to a place, back to a place I should have always been. That I can't do anything in my own strength. My own wisdom is not good enough. No wisdom on this earth is good enough. We have to go to God for wisdom and understanding. And only His wisdom is good enough. And so after I got brought to that place, about three days later, somebody came to me in humility and brokenness about a way that they had hurt me. And it had been something that happened like six months ago, and it had been on their heart to, to share it with me, to, to, to ask for forgiveness, that they should have brought it up in the first place, and they, they didn't, and they'd held on to it. And so they came to me, and, and they, they came in humility. And I was humbled prior to their coming. And I can't, I may have had another situation in my life where I was able to experience humility to humility, but I can't remember one, and certainly not to this degree. But they came in humility, and I was in a place of humility, and my immediate response was, I forgive you. I get it. I understand. I've been there. They didn't know, but I'd been there (laughs) two days. You know, like, I've just been there. I'm still there. But if that had come four days ago, it would have been beyond me. I wouldn't have been able to understand. I would have probably thought, you know, how could you be so blind? How could you not have seen that? How could you not have known that was the way to handle this situation? But I had gotten to a place where I was blind. And I didn't see. And I didn't understand. And to this day, I can't look at the decision that I had made and come up with any relevant explanation. And so now I got it. And I was at a place of humility. And, and God, in, in the Word, it says, how about you try to forgive other people like I've forgiven you? Do you know how much grace you've received? Do you know how much mercy you've received? And so often I will immediately come from a place of pride and decisions because I think, I know, I know how to handle that. Anybody should know how to handle that. How could you not know how to handle that? And God clearly taught me uh, through this, this word in James and through circumstances that I can be as blind as anybody. And when I count on my wisdom and my understanding, I'll always end up the fool. But if we take time to seek Him and ask for His wisdom, He will lead us. He will guide our steps. He will mature us. And He will take us to a place where we can live a life of meeting people humble to humble. I said in the first service, you know, I mentioned about how um, 
you know, relationships between kids and uh, parents and parents and kids. And it just, you know, how many, all parents would know this, but how many lessons do we try to teach our kids that we say, we want you to learn without having to experience it yourself? Can you learn from my mistakes? And that's my heart this morning. I'm hoping that, that y'all can learn from my mistakes. But I also know, as we all know who have had children, they're like, no, I need, <laughs> I need to figure it out myself. You know, I want, I want to go bump my head myself. I want to skin my knee myself. And however God takes us through those processes, my prayer is that we mature and we grow and we learn and we get a little bit more uh, seasoned in our spiritual walk that we might act different the next time it comes around. All relationships are hard. Every relationship is hard. And we have to choose how we're going to live in them. And I hope we're all encouraged this morning to humbly go before God and ask Him for wisdom from above on how to walk in every single relationship that we have. Jesus gave us the perfect example. If there was ever a man that had no need for humility or meekness, it was Jesus Christ, and yet He humbled Himself. He humbled Himself by coming to earth in the first place, by washing the disciples' feet, by becoming a servant The Son of God, the Creator of heaven and earth, came to earth and served people. And He submitted to His Father in meekness to the point of the cross. Philippians 2, 5-7 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself or humbled Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was meek and humble and became a servant to God and even to the men He'd created. And if He could humble Himself, and respond in the strength of meekness when he knew the circumstances were to be left in the Father's hands, how much more should we? We can trust him with circumstances that are beyond our control. The world may think we're being weak. The world may think we're not taking action. But if we're doing it right, we're trusting in God to redeem a circumstance that's outside of our control. Will you bow your head with me as we close in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, for, the, for the word that you implanted in James's heart over 2,000 years ago. That we might still learn from it. That you still might instruct us. That we still might see the difference between the wisdom of this realm and the wisdom from above. Father God, I ask, Lord, we, we rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, you've, you've given words that, that you are drawing people here, that you are doing a work in Lampasas through the body of Christ, and not just through New Covenant Church, but through every church in this community, Lord. And Father, the enemy is coming to attack that. He's coming to divide. He's coming to try to uproot. He's coming to try to stop the work that you're doing, Lord, and, and by causing divisions among the people of God. But Jesus Christ said, He told the disciples, the world will know you by your love for one another. Father God, we come and we repent. Lord, I repent of my pride. I repent of of going to my own wisdom far too often. 
And Lord, you promised in, through James, Lord, that if we ask, you will give us your wisdom. We ask for your wisdom, Lord. We ask uh, for you to humble us, to, to make us meek in every situation, which is strength in having faith in you, Lord. Father, we trust you. We trust that you are going to do and pre- perform every word that you've spoken. Lord, I pray that we will be known, New Covenant Church will be known by the love we have for each other and the love that we have for this community. And that the body of Christ in Lampasas and in Texas and in this nation and throughout the world will be known by our love for one another. Lord, I pray that we will start living and doing your word, not just believing in it. Lord, and you promised to send us the Holy Spirit to give us the ability to do just that. And we invite you here to fill us, lead us, guide us, instruct us. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, before uh, you can stand and we're going to close in a worship song. But before we do, I just want to remind you that next Sunday on the 20th, uh, the message is going to be on uh, how faith works in prayer and fasting. And so I've just asked, I mentioned it last week and wanted to mention it again this week, just to consider, um, prayerfully consider joining us in a 21-day fast starting next Sunday. It would go from the 20th to March 13th. Um, and it can be one thing or, or something you can pray about. It's not, I'm not saying don't eat anything for 21 days, um, but just pray about what God might have you lay down uh, and, and seek Him in prayer and fasting during that time. The wisdom of the world shared by the great philosopher Stuart Small. He said, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And it's all a lie. 100% a lie. So we're not good enough, and we're not smart smart enough. And truthfully, people just really don't like us because of who we are. The truth from the Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the meek will inherit the earth. Those that humble themselves to the plan that God has already set before us will have everything that we need. Everything that we need. In Him, we are made more than conquerors. If we humble ourselves, He will exalt us. It's not the words that come out of our mouth. It's the word that comes out of His mouth and His truth. Father God, let there be less of me and more of you in everything that I do. Amen. If you're a first-time visitor, if you've never received one of our gift bags, please grab one of these as you leave today. There's information about us and who we are and a gift for you. You can grab it, throw it under your coat, walk to the car. Nobody will bug you, okay? A few quick announcements for you. I have a wonderful praise report. Those of you who know Steve and Phyllis Roberts know that Steve's been going through a great struggle. He had faith, and God has delivered him. So their life group will be starting back this Wednesday, and he has a great testimony to share with you guys as they grow back together and, and uh, spend time with you all. So Wednesday night, their, their life group will start back. Uh, men's breakfast is going to be this Saturday, the 19th at 8 a.m. in the Fellowship Hall. It will be a testimony or short story by one of our very own brothers here at New Covenant, and that's a good time. And one more new group you need to be made aware of next Sunday, February 20th at 7.15 p.m. in the West Building is a new group for single adults 18 to 26. So if you're in that group or you know somebody in that group, 
Lila Skiles wants to help you fellowship, learn about God and what it means to walk as young adults here in Lampasas. There's going to be no youth services tonight. So middle school, high school youth, no services for you. I, something's happening tonight. I don't, I don't remember what it was. but Oh, it's the Super Bowl. That's what it was. All right. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you that through you and in you, we are made more than conquerors over anything that the world can throw against us. So Father God, help us be humble. Let there be less of us and more of you in all the circumstances that come up so we can give you the praise and you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Be blessed and have a great week together. Thank you for listening to this week's message.